to 15, 1 John chapter 2, and 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, and our fall decorations just so growing puts her heart into it when she gets involved in there. And then that's Paul to pick up a fish for me. Um, it doesn't exactly have all colors, but I didn't specify for that. It sticks out more in a bright blue. And so my question to you this morning is, does a fish know it's wet? Does a fish know it's wet? Anybody have any thoughts? Does it fish know it's wet? What's that? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question, too. Does it fish know it's a big fish? That's too hard of a question. How much is it wet? What if it's Yeah, how would a fish know any different if that's where it lives? Anybody else? Rick? probably knows if he's dry. He probably knows if he's dry. Good, good, very good. But how is it that humans, we know if we're wet or if we're dry? How, how, how is that? How would that be maybe more, a little bit more different? Yeah. I, I guess you've been in both. Yeah, you're, you can see, you've been born to water, you're in the water, the water breaks, and then you're dry when you're born. All right, let's go ahead and go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. Says, but, so we're really actually at verse 1 as far as in chronological order for 1 Timothy. But with this message, I'm skipping ahead, and then we'll go back um, in future messages. But it says, but they do what, what, in verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and horkerful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and fall after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, Patience, meekness. Now go ahead and go to 1 John chapter 2 in verse 15. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And you fish know that they are wet. Do they even know what wetness means? Uh, uh, since they never experienced dryness, unless they've been fried and placed on a dinner plate, to be wet is just their normal state, but not something that is part of their consciousness. You know, us being made in the image of God are able to um, gain more of an intelligence um, than that. But we see a fish is just it's in the water, that's where it's born, and that's where it lives. Um, besides maybe an occasional jumping out of the water, but they're still um, wet. Um, unless they fall on land and then dry out and then learn that they are dead, but they only learn, they just die. Um, and if you think about lures and traps, as the fish know about lures and traps that are set for it, it's possible when they can see the enemy per se, maybe um, some fish are a little more skittish, if they could see right above and see the fishermen right there, some fish may be a little bit more skittish in that kind of scenario, but many times even then, set, cast the hook, and it bites on. Now, let me just, practically speaking, it doesn't usually happen that quick, okay? I mean, that would be a fisherman's dream, huh? Cast it, boom, they get caught. But um, sometimes, occasionally, um, that can 
um, happen. Uh, my daughter, like the first time and the only time she went fishing, problem, she caught a fish. You know, she was the only one. The boys didn't catch one, but she did. And, and so she was, she was the lucky one um, that day. But um, fish are undiscerning when the fisherman is out of sight. And they'll follow for the Lord time and time again, even though they see a siblings and relatives or other fish getting snatched by the hook, being snatched by the Lord. They see it, and yet they still go for it themselves. It's like they're in a trance, they, they just do, they, um, sometimes they, it could be because they're hungry, but usually they're just upset and aggressive and want to get rid of it, and so they attack it. And, and, and they get snatched up. If they're a lucky one, it gets thrown back into the water, they'll yet again become blind to their circumstances and likely get snagged by another lure. They already got snagged once, and maybe they got thrown back in because they were too small. It happens again and again until they're eventually dead. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about lures and um, temptations and uh, being enticed in James chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. James 1 verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted be any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so the Bible is very clear that God does not tempt us or entice us to do evil. You know, sometimes people go all about when God tempted Abraham. That was God testing Abraham to do what that was just right, to trust in him. Not to tempt him to do evil. God doesn't tempt us to do evil. The Bible says that he rather makes a way for us to escape, that if we're following him, that he knows our weakness and makes a way for us to escape. But it says the man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The Bible talks about three enemies um, that we face, and one being our own flesh, the world, and the devil himself. Now the devil knows our weakness, he knows our flesh, he sees our weak points, he sees it over and over, and so there we need to be on guard to know our enemy, lest we be a, like a fish that is not aware of its own surroundings, doesn't even know that it is wet. Now for the fish, it's beneficial for it to be wet. But it's not beneficial for it to follow the lure, to um, be snatched away, to be reeled in. But when it knows, aware, when it's aware and sees the fishermen, usually they'll be a little more skittish and go away because they know there's something that's scary to them. We need to know our enemy, the devil, and understand our own flesh, and that the devil will use our flesh, he will use the world, to lure us where we are in a lustful state, that we are in a trance. And when I talk about lust, I'm not just talking about like the lusting after a woman or lusting after a man. That is, of course, part of a lust, and we will talk about that. But it's this desire, this affection for something that maybe is wrong, something that should not be for us. And so we should look to Scripture to recognize some of the tactics that the devil uses to lure us away um, before he uses them on us. Because when we are in the moment, in the situation, our heart may overlook the traps that the devil sets for us. Our heart will often override our mind. The Bible talks about how the spirit is willing Indeed, the 
but the flesh is weak. And so we need to have our convictions beforehand, lest our heart overtake it. If we have multiple godly brothers and sisters noticing things of concern and give us counsel to consider, to take heed to what they may be saying. It's possible for people likewise to be in a situation as the fish to think they're in a normal situation for them, but only outsiders can see the danger they may be in. For example, a woman that grows up in an abusive home is a child and then marries a man who ends up abusing her likewise, may not seek the help she desperately needs because it's the only environment she's ever been. And so she doesn't seek help. She thinks maybe all men treat their wives like this. All dads treat their children like this. So there's not more reports, even in public schools, where of reporting abuse. They think this is just normal. And now the world will try to go to the other extreme where they'll think healthy discipline and they'll call that bad. The world is great at calling evil good and calling good evil. And so oftentimes a woman that's in an abusive relationship does not seek help. Just was speaking with someone yesterday. Tom's speaking about how her boyfriend treats her and takes her stuff and, 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 and hides it or puts it in, in different places. And, and, and then she says, I just keep going for it over and over and over again. She's in this trap where her boyfriend does not treat her right and yet still keeps going back to that relationship. Can you imagine trying to explain to a fish the water is wet and land is dry. Or trying to warn fish that bait and lures on the line will ultimately bring them to the frying pan. Do you try to talk to this fish all you want? Now that's probably not worth a fry going in the frying pan, okay? But you try to warn the fish, you're not going to be able to one, you don't speak its language. And is their language, are they able to warn of danger? I, I, I don't know. You know. We don't have the mind of a fish, so we don't know all of its details. There's sometimes things where they go by instinct instead of by knowledge. It's just the nature God has put in them. But just as an abusive woman, or the abused woman, I mean, she's in that situation. She may not know anything different. She's in a trance. In college, I remember seeing dating couples that got so awkwardly infatuated with each other. I think you guys see, maybe you've been guilty of it, where you're just sitting on the bench and you're just Google-eyed. <laughs> and you're just staring at each other, and sometimes you're not even talking. And everybody just kind of stares at them, and it's like, what is going on? This is sick. And, 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 and it just gets awkward. Um, and, and they end up isolating themselves away, though, from other healthy relationships. And many times this is to the um, detriment to their academic studies. And the sad part of it was that when they were in that trance, they couldn't even see how their unhealthy relationship was affecting their other relationships and hindering the path they were on. When others tried to point it out to them, they would be in denial about it, having any negative effect on them. Here are four traps that Satan will often use to snare people into a trance of lust. As we read in 1 Timothy 6, 9, the lust of money. Money can get people in a trance, where many times the people do not even know it. They that people be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The Bible is not sugarcoating this. They say that they that will be rich, that's their desire, that's their focus, they can struggle. 
The sin is not in being rich. It's what we'll see. You know, you look over and over in the scripture where you see Abraham had much wealth. You see, Job was the wealthiest man in the east. Their wealth was not the sin. What can become the sin is just that 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 fleshly desire just for more gain. Not to be generous with, but to be selfish. With. And it just says that there's a temptation that the rich could fall in, that maybe someone that's not rich don't fall into as easy. It drowns men in distress and perdition. It goes, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay, it's not the money that's evil. Okay, it's that fleshly lust, love for that money. Okay, the sheetrock of these. Walls. They're neither good nor evil. It's all moral. It can be used to build a church building. It can be used to build a Hindu prostitute temple. Same material could be used for good or could be used for bad. Money could be used for good or bad. You know, raising funds. We raise funds for the missionaries. Okay? To go to a good use. But it's that lust for money, to lust to be rich that drowns us, that, that leads to perdition, the love of money, which will some coveted after. They have feared from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And so he says, you know what, this can lead people to covet after, and it leads to destruction. But because they don't even know it's happening to their life. They don't even know that they start treating other people differently. They don't know that they start being more of a snob, or start to be more selfish. Proverbs 23, 4 says, labor not to be rich, seize from thine own wisdom. Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Labor not to be rich. Again, doesn't mean being rich is sinful. But what's the most? Some people can labor so hard, labor so much, they're never with their family. And it's another verse says in Proverbs 15, 27, He that is greedy of gain, trouble of his own house. And that's always focus. It's still well building. He troubles his own house. Now the Bible also says the diligent make of rich. Now if someone works hard, you know what? They're likely going to be able to build wealth. That's not simple. The Bible talks about but the poor do with a slack hand. We want to be diligent, and if God blesses with riches, then so be it. But still, we want to be careful of falling in this snare, this trap of having a love for money, a covetous heart. We see in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul talks about um, Demas. And elsewhere, he talks great about Demas. But here, he says, for Demas have forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. We don't know what it was, but like he was on some sort of mission trip or helping him in a ministry, but something in this world he lusted after, and he loved the world more than serving in a ministry with Paul, and it drew him away. That lust pulled him away. We see the rich young um, ruler. He talks about to Christ as I kept all the um, commandments and stuff. And if Jesus tests him in one, and he says, you know, I sell all your goods that you have and give to the poor. And then he couldn't do it. That lust for the money, the wealth, kept him from coming to Christ. So that's the first one, the lust of money. Satan will use our flesh to get us stuck somewhere, to keep us in a trance where we are ineffective for the cause of Christ. The other three beside in verse John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Of any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the body, but is of the world. Talk about the lust of the eyes first. Um, go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel 11. Second Samuel 11, in verse 1, it's probably a very familiar biblical account to maybe all of us, or most of us, but it says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still in Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Here we see David goes to the rooftop. He sees her on the rooftop. And there's this lust, lust after this woman with his eyes. And as the Bible talks about, the, the, this is the end of the world, the lust of the eyes. But it didn't stop to remember, David was one that God said was a man after God's own heart. But even a man after God's own heart would become weak to his own lust of his eyes. You know, the Bible talks about, if we look to Harlot, um, or the strange woman, that many strong men are slain by her. And you know, it's not so much the woman, it's the man's lust after the woman. It's that affection for her that is out of control. But Satan knows to use the woman to bring, to activate that lust of the ox. But we see it did not stop here. And David said and inquired after the woman, and one said, It's not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. So here we see some people were questioning, Is this another man's wife? David didn't care. He was so um, infatuated with the lust of his eyes and the lust of his flesh that he inquired and had her come to his palace. And then he lay with her. And then we see the woman conceived and said and told David and said, I am with child. So now there's a woman that's pregnant, that's married to another man. The lust led to a deeper sin. And David was sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And so David has Uriah come back, which is Bathsheba's husband, and says, hey, no, let's take him off. You know, he's been in battle long enough. Let's take him off. Let's, let's bring him home, and so he could be with his wife. But it was an impure moment. He was trying to hide his sin of sleeping with his wife. You know, as the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. You can't hide from God. And God often will reveal things and open things to the world. And it's one way we know this is not just man's words just writing it, that God actually inspired this to be written because a man was just trying to start his own great religion. He's not going to be writing about his fallacies. He's going to try and make himself just to look good. But the Bible shows the virtues of David and it shows the fall of David. We see Uriah 
um, was being a man of character and was could not go um, to his house. And here I said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? Is thou livest and is thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. Uriah is saying, there's men in battle right now. There's a war going on, and I am not going home and just going to enjoy being at home when we have a battle that is not over yet. The king and his do an act. Usually, a king would be grateful for a man like that, a man of character. But instead, again, David is trying to hide his lust, to hide his sin that resulted from his lust. And, and, and David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and tomorrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And so David tried getting him drunk, and then having that caused him to go home, but it did not work. And they came past the morning, they wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it by hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And the king you passed when Joab observed a city that is, he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. He set this battle up intentionally for Uriah to be easily Started with a little bit of a lust of a woman on the rooftop washing herself. It then led to him committing adultery. Betraying his own wife, and betraying Uriah, one of his soldiers, then trying to cover it up, trying to get Uriah to get at home, was being deceitful, and then we see him basically having Uriah. The lust, once conceived, as James says, brings forth death. And here we're selling the death of someone else, but it was really like the death of David's soul. You see Nathan the prophet, he gives an allegory, he gives a parable, um, and, and David's like, we that it's wrong. And then Nathan says, thou art the man. We see that David does come to repentance, but we see that he suffers. He suffered in future time as well of his own children because of his sin. The lust of eyes Satan will use against us. The lust of flesh, the lust of the emotions, the lust of craving attention God um, warns us against, but Satan will use in our life. See a similar account, but total different. First, uh, go to Judges. First Judges is the only Judges there. <laughs> judges chapter 16 and verse 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her, and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lie, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us eleven hundred pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lie, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee? And so here she's going, okay, you know what? You're, you're this crazy, strong man. Man, the Philistines cannot even destroy you. But you tell me, you know, you love me. Tell me the secret. How are you so strong? 
And Samson said unto her, If they find me with seven green whips that were never dry, then shall I be weak and be this another man. Then what we see happens, then the lures of the Philistines brought up to her seven green whips, which had not been dry, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber, and she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson! And he break the whips, as the thread of cow is broken when it touched of the fire, so his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And so he's still staying with this woman. When she just tried to get him killed, get him captured. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. And here we go again. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson! And there were live fires in wait abiding in the chamber, and he brake them from off his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me, and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web. Okay, so again, he's letting his lust with her, where he's still here, and then she had to push, you know, you lied to me, you mocked me. Tell me this time what it is. And he says another thing, he weaves the seven locks of my head with the whip. And she fastened him with the pin, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awakened out of his sleep, and went away with the pin of the beam, and with the web. So he escaped again. His power was still pretty, pretty strong. And this is bunches of men. This is like armies in the room with her trying to bite him. But God gave him a supernatural strength as his spirit would abide on him, that he would be able to defeat that. But even this man whom the spirit would come upon was weak in the flesh. And he still, time and time again, kept going back and back, even though she meant harm and was trying to get him captured, was even trying to get him killed, and she, yet he still stayed with her. She said unto him, verse 15, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me where thy great strength lies. Trying to use some manipulation. Lie to me these three times. How can you say you love me if you're not telling me really how to? What are your weaknesses? His weakness was her. She was out for him, conspiring against him, but she was his weakness. The lust of the flesh. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There have not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go with me, and I will become weak. And be like any other man. Give it away. Does the fish know its way? Does the man in the lust of his flesh know he is being taken advantage of? Does he know what's going on? Does the fish know its way? When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand, and she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. Now she is testing. And she sees the strength is gone. 
And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not, and he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with feathers of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began growing after he was shaven. And then it, this story goes on. But we see that the Philistines captured him. And he was blind initially to the lust of his flesh. And now he is literally blind. As they plucked his eyes out. And we do see that his hair grows again. God does give him strength again. Um, and he tears down the pillars between them. He pushes them. The, the temple falls, kills the Philistines, but he died in it. This would not have happened if he did not fall for the lust of his flesh. Delilah hated Samson, and yet he still clung to her. Samson knew of the danger he was in because of her image, but yet he was blinded to it because of his fleshly lust for her. Number four. The lust of the pride of life is another way Satan will work to try and get us in a trance. Absalom, the third son of David, led Israel against his own father. But eventually loses the battle. He is killed by Joab at the time when he was caught in a tree. And he's an example of how pride goeth before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. He wanted to be greater than his father and led an army, but was defeated. David continued to mourn for his son while he was alive. And after his son died, he continued to mourn. 2 Samuel 18.33 says, And the king was much moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate, and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee! O oh, Absalom, my son, my son! And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom, and the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people, for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. Even when Absalom went against his father, tried to have his father killed, David wept and mourned for his son. He loved and he cared for his son. But Absalom initially was because of bitterness. Being angry at a good cause initially. Another brother had raped his sister. And he was angry about it. Good thing to be angry about. But then he allowed that bitterness to change. And he didn't like how some things were dealt with. That he didn't want to lead an army against David and become the king of Israel himself. He was caught in that trance not recognizing that his father loved him. All he could look at is what he wanted. But the king was moved and wept that now his son was dead. You see, the flesh wars against the soul. 1 Peter 2.11 Peter writes, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Those passions that are not right, those passions for sin, to do that which you know is wrong, it wars against the soul. And that's why it's important to walk in the Spirit. It's vital to abstain from these four lust traps. The money trap of the love of money, the lust of the eyes, 
The loss of the flesh that's internal and the pride of life. These are all traps that will lead to, I guess, a fish. It doesn't know its way. And when you are in these four traps, it's not uncommon for you to not be aware of it. Or even when you all have some level of awareness of it, you don't care. Like Samson with Delilah. He continued to be with this woman that tried to get him captured already multiple times. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so ye cannot do the things that you would. Says, you know what? It's a Christian man, you know what you're gonna want or it's a Christian woman. You know what's right, and you want to do what's right. Paul talks about this struggle, and he says, I do what I would not, and I would not, I do not what I would. They talks about it. it is a struggle. We have this flesh. Yes, we've been born again of your Savior, and you know Christ, but we still have the flesh, and these four traps will keep us in a trance and ineffective for the cause of Christ if we allow ourselves in there to stay there. It says the flesh must be spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And that you cannot do the things that you want. You must walk in the spirit. Be in prayer. Be in connection with God. Be in his word. That um, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Memorizing the verses, it, it helps you. You know, you know what, sometimes just um, being aware of an end goal, we see that Paul tells um, Timothy to fight the good fight. That he says, you know what, and he says, I fought a good fight. I, I've been faithful, I've kept on going on. And he wasn't saying that in pride or in arrogance, he was saying this at the end of his life. And he encourages Timothy Fight the good fight. Run the race. Not all win the race. Be faithful and run. And having that end goal of wanting to please Christ. It helped me a long way. The Bible talks about how the love of Christ constraineth us. And it's really a way twofold. The love Christ has for us and our love for Christ constrains us to do that which is right. You know, this week we got to do a day hike at Maple Pass Loop in the North Cascades. Uh, um, Abraham went along with us in it. And uh, my son, he has a job. He, he had paper responsibilities now, so he didn't get to um, um, go with us. And you know, he's the one that got me off into the hiking. Amen. And um, but he couldn't go. All right. I planned this hike for our daughter. Um, so she, she, she wants for the camping, you know what? There has to be clean water, running water, and there has to be real bathrooms, not just being the motors. So I planned this one so it would be perfect for her, but now she's in college and she has responsibilities that she's in here, so she didn't get to go. But um, Titus, Abraham, right? Abraham, when Abraham's five turns six, how many days Titus turns six? One more day? All right, one more day and six. But this was a seven and a half mile hike, um, about 2,300 um, feet elevation gain. And I didn't think we were going to be able to finish it. I wanted to bring him along. I wanted him to come. Thought maybe we'd have to go back, or maybe mom would go back with him if her knees were bothering her or whatever. But um, he went, going up, climb up. But we did tell him there would be a reward if he was able to finish it. And his mind was fixed on that prize. First I told him, like, you know, if you could do this, you know, we'll give you $10. And he said, that's a prize. No, nope, that's the price at the end, okay? <laughs> and to give you $10 if you could do this. So I really have never had $10 before. I'm realizing he's had two fives. Not realizing it wasn't him. And as we were going, he was getting a little bit tired. And I go, you know what? You've been doing a really good job. It's been three miles so far. You know, if, if you could do this, you know, I think I'm going to give you $15. Because 
And all of a sudden, he had energy again. His mind was fixed on the prize again. And he started to run. There were only about two times I carried him, and they were only about two minutes each. When we were going up some elevation game, carrying him for two minutes, and I was like, well, this is making me want to turn back. <laughs> and so, but um, I did another time. Other than that, he did the whole thing. And he finished, his eyes was fixed on the prize. And may we cruise forward toward the prize, the high mark, the high calling that's in Christ Jesus, who rewards, and, and that we do it for him. How could we not do our reasonable service for Christ? But we must walk in the Spirit. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the pride of life, the lust of money, again, can make us unaware to reality. Abraham, what was your favorite part of the eye? Coming down? All right. Coming down was much easier. What color of tree did you like? The gold ones. We saw the golden larches. Instead of the golden yellow, uh, they look like evergreen trees, but they're golden yellow for like two to three to four weeks um, of the year. It was beautiful. The must make us unaware to reality. Christians can be unaware of the traps that numb their consciousness and their ability to exercise discernment. We sometimes cannot see things that other people see when we are in the one in the midst of a hypnotic state of lust. This is where considering counsel from godly people is vital. They can help bring us back to reality about the dangers surrounding us. You know, if a fish could, you know, the fish probably would want to warn another fish. Hey, don't go for that. That's the trap. That's the trap. Don't go for it. When we're in the midst of it, though, we're unaware to the dangers. And that's where we should seek counsel from other brothers, other sisters in the Lord, from our pastor, from uh, different people that people that may not um, see that may have a spiritual walk with God. And if they caution and they warn you about things, whether you ask for it or they just offer it out of concern for you. Proverbs 11, 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. When we don't get the counsel, or we, we don't listen to the counsel, people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Can you imagine if when David mentioned, hey, go get Bathsheba. And they said, this is Uriah's wife. If they dare to say it to him in front of him, and he said, "Oh, you know what? This man's all this white woman's already taken. You know what? Stop that lust. You know the account would definitely be written differently." Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, "Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. <clears throat> when we don't take heed to counsel, when we don't have it." <clears throat> the purposes, our vision that we have in life, they're defeated. It vanishes away. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Talk about someone building a business. It's good for them to be around other people that have built a business and, and to give counsel and warn of the pitfalls. They have tried to do it all on their own, are more likely to fall. Recognize these again. It's a fish in a witch's flag. Understand when lust gets in our heart, in our eyes, or in our mind with pride, or the lust of financial gain, and puts us in a trance that we may not recognize. Seek God. He is David in the dead. Pray, says, Lord, examine my heart, my reins, and reveal any wicked way in me. Let's pray as we have a time of invitation. Some music plays, and you do business.
with God, your heart, maybe there's some type of less good, or maybe it's one that is more prevalent in your life than the others. It could be the pride, it could be what your eyes see, so you always want more, you covet, maybe you covet after something that's not yours. Maybe it's just that inward desire for something that's not right. Bless the money. Lay it before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray and ask the word as your word has already said, O Lord, that you show us the ways of escape when lust creeps in our heart. Lord, as a pastor, I pray, Lord, you have spared me from the lust of my own heart, eyes, the pride, honey. Lord, I pray, Lord, you help guard me from those temptations. Make the way of escape, lest I preach to others and myself be a castaway. Pray, Lord, for the people in this church. They'll have a heart desire to grow in you, to walk in the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to overcome the lust that come our way. And Lord, you pray, Lord, again. My wife, as she prepares to go to the Dominican Republic, pray the Lord that you be with her and the others that are ministering there. Pray the Lord for the Keck family. Pray the Lord that this will be a blessing to their family. In Jesus' name.